0: So we're continuing in our study of what it looks like to follow Jesus. And today we're going to be looking at an interaction that Jesus has with a woman in John chapter 4. It's this one-on-one interaction that we can look at and go, okay, what can we learn from this? So really neat part about Jesus I love is that he knows our hearts. He understands us. And what we see in this interaction is he knows this woman he's going to talk to Is longing to find satisfaction and she can't find satisfaction. And Jesus invites her to find her satisfaction in Him. What's cool about Jesus is He knows you and me, He knows that all of us are looking for satisfaction. Not the I finished a project type of satisfaction, not the good meal, I feel satisfied, not that was a really good game, I feel satisfied, or that new car smell, I feel satisfied, because those types of satisfactions, they fade, they go away. Jesus is saying, I have something to offer you that's lasting, it's deep and abiding and alive and eternal and real, and doesn't come and go with the seasons, or doesn't change and go out of style or wear off. He's offering satisfaction in himself. He is the definition of satisfaction, and he offers it. What's also incredible about Jesus is he doesn't force himself on anyone, but invites us and says, hey, you can believe in me, or you can reject me. You can look to me to satisfy you, or you can keep doing what you've been doing. You can keep chasing after whatever you've been chasing after, hoping that you'll catch it and hold on to satisfaction. You can do that, or you can choose to trust in me, believe in me, and believing in him is not easy. It's hard work, but it is the work that God invites us to. He says, believe in me, trust in me, follow me, and watch what I'll do. So John chapter 4 is where we're going to be today. If you have your Bibles, open them up, turn them on, John 4 is where we're looking today. And as you go there, I just want to remind you that John, the author of this biography about Jesus, that's what we're reading. It's a biography of Jesus written by Jesus' closest friend named John. He says that these things are written down. The reason he wrote this biography, these things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. So the purpose of John chapter 4 and every verse in this book of John is that you might believe, and by believing you may have eternal life, life in His name that starts now and goes on forever. And so some of you don't believe, and that's okay. Some of you believe a little bit, or you're just beginning to believe. That's okay. Some of you believe a lot. That's okay. Some of you have been believing a lot for a lot of years. Wherever you are in this journey, Jesus is offering you life and that we might believe and by believing we may have eternal life. Why is this important? Because some of the things that we may talk about today, some of the stories that we deal with in John chapter 4 and other places, you might be like, well, I know this already. I know God so loved the world. I already believe in that. Can we move on to better things, more important things, sturdier things? And John is saying, no, every story, every account, every verse in this book is that whoever you are, wherever you are in your spiritual journey, that you might believe. And today you might believe a little more and find life in His name that he's always doing something new, that you come to know him, and as you come to know him, he begins to transform you, and that you might discover a little more life in his name, a little bit more grace in his name, a little bit more hope in his name, a little bit more peace in his name. So if you just come and do church, this is going to bore you every Sunday. But if you're hungry to know more, of the King of kings and Lord of lords, then lean in. God will satisfy you. So we're in John chapter 4. And you know what happens right before John chapter 4? John chapter 3. And in John chapter 3, you thought I was going to say something profound. No. John chapter 3. And in John chapter 3, we bumped into this guy named Nicodemus who was curious about Jesus, but he was also a control freak and he wanted to control a relationship with God, and Jesus said to him, unless you're born again, nothing you can control by believing, you will never see God or his kingdom. And now, this woman comes to Jesus. She hasn't really come to him, you'll see how this plays out, but Jesus knows her heart and knows she's seeking to find satisfaction in something sturdy, and watch what he's gonna do to blow up her categories because that's what he winds up doing. He never answers or gives us what we want to hear. He gives us truth, and it almost always blows up categories of what we think. John chapter 4, we're going to start in verse 4. Now Jesus had to go through Samaria. It's a place. So he came to a town in Samaria called Saqqar near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son, Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. Jesus had to go through Samaria. Now, let me try to explain to you Samaria. It's really important. Jesus is a Jewish man, and Jewish people prided themselves in their ethnic and spiritual purity. See, God had chosen the Jewish people to be the people that he would give his special attention to, and through the Jewish people, he would bless the entire world. So God chose the Jewish people to do something fantastic through, but instead of being humbled that, God, you chose me, it made many of them arrogant. It made them cocky, and they were ethnic and spiritual snobs. Ethnic and spiritual snobs. So to them, anyone that wasn't Jewish was lower class. And if there was anyone that was the lowest class, it was Samaritans because Samaritans were ethnic half-breeds. They were see, part Jewish, they started Jewish, and then they bred into other races. So now they're not even pure Jewish line, but more than just a mixed bloodline, they were spiritual half-breeds. They didn't follow the pure Jewish understanding of religion. They didn't embrace the entire Bible. They just took the first five books of the Bible. They didn't worship in Jerusalem at the temple where good Jews were supposed to worship. They worshiped on another mountain. So the only thing worse than being Jewish was being half-Jewish Samaritan, and Jews hated Samaritans. And now Jesus and his disciples have to go through half-breed land. This is crazy. And did you notice that Jesus is traveling along and it says he got tired. He's going, walking on this journey and he got tired. I love that. Don't you? Did you notice that he got tired and it says he sat down at a well. He's thirsty, tired. He's in the Middle East. It's a midday. He's walked a long distance. He sits down and he's tired. That's cool, right? Here's why. He's not Superman, He's tired. He's a person like you and me. Oh, he's the God of the universe, but he's walking along and he gets tired and he sits down at a well. I love that. And look at what happens next in verse seven. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus is tired, he's thirsty, he's alone at a well in a society where men don't speak to women and certainly Jewish men don't speak to half-breeds. And he says to this woman, can you give me a drink? I mean, think of this, this is the God of the universe who's tired, if there was ever a time that higher class should command lower class, hey, get me a drink, he doesn't do that. He says to this woman, can I have a drink? And it kind of reminds me of maybe if you were the CEO of Coca-Cola in Atlanta, and you were walking through a horrible section of Atlanta, and you were tired, and you were so thirsty, you sat down, and there was a woman with her bag of garbage, a homeless woman, and you're like, hey, could I have a sip of your half-drank can of Coke? You'd go, nobody would do that. The CEO of Coca-Cola would never do that. This doesn't happen, but Jesus asks this woman for a drink, and she says, no way this is happening. How can you ask me for a drink? Jesus' response in verse 10 takes this from being about water to something far more important. He answers her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you, you'd ask him. He switches the gears, he turns the tables, just like he did with Nicodemus. If you knew who you were talking to, if you knew the gift of God, all the gifts of God, and this specific gift of God, that the Son of God is sitting right in front of you, so close you could touch him and give him a Coke, the gift of God that's sitting right in front of you, if you could only see and know who I am, you'd say to me, can I have a drink of water? If you only knew, because I have something that will satisfy you, something that's alive. But how could she possibly comprehend what's going on here? How could she possibly know in this moment? It's midday, it's in the Middle East, Her job is to get water. She chooses, for any number of reasons, we don't know why, to go at midday to this well. And it just happens to be at midday in the well. Nobody goes and does work at midday at the well. So she wants to be alone for some reason. She doesn't want to be a part of the crowds. She's avoiding people. She comes, and now a man is talking to her, and not just any man, a Jewish man. And she responds like we would respond in verse 11. Sir, the woman said, you've got nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where are you going to get this living water? kind of feel like she might have a little bit of an attitude. Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock? She's practical. She's skeptical. Tons of questions are swirling around her head as she interacts. Maybe she's thinking, honestly, I hope this creeper leaves me alone. I don't know who this dude is. I don't know who he is. He asked me for water. Now he's talking about living water. Who is this guy and what does he think he's doing? Verse 13, Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. He, I imagine he points to the well. Everyone who drinks this, this water over here, will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this stuff, whoever drinks this water, will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give will never thirst. Indeed, it will become in them a spring that wells up to eternal life. If I put myself in this woman's shoes for just a moment, I have no idea what this guy is talking about. I mean, this is weird talk. Are we talking about water? Are we talking about something else? Who are you? Why are you talking to me? This is messing with my mind. I'm confused at this point. I'm sure Jesus has her attention, but I'm sure she's scratching her head and trying to figure this conversation out. And it's easy for us, this side of it, to look at this conversation and this passage in the Bible and to understand that Jesus isn't talking about physical water. He's using water as a metaphor for something much more important, a a metaphor for something greater. I think he's using it as a metaphor for satisfaction, and he offers her satisfaction. He says that water doesn't satisfy, but if you drink this water, you will never thirst again. You see, she's got to keep coming back to this well every day to get the water right? It's her daily chores. If I want to drink, I don't have a spigot. I don't have Poland Springs from Costco. I got to go to the well. I got to drop the bucket in the well. I got to pick the, I got to bring it home. And then I drink the water and I go back and get more. I go back to the well over and over and over again. And I drink and then I have to keep going back and keep going back. And Jesus is saying, I'm offering something to you that you don't have to keep going back to get more, It's a living water that when you drink it, you will never thirst again, and you won't have to keep coming back again and again and again. And he's not talking about water. He's talking about how all of us are longing to be satisfied with something and how every human keeps going back to some well somewhere. What well do you go to? What well do you keep going to over and over and over and over again, hoping, trying to get satisfaction? Maybe it's the well of popularity and acceptance. I just wanna be liked. Maybe it's the well of relationships. I just want someone to love me. Maybe it's the well of power. I just need to control everything and everyone. Maybe it's the well of numb. I just want to be numbed out. I'm going to do whatever, take whatever, drink whatever, smoke whatever, eat whatever, sniff whatever, so I don't have to feel anything any more. Maybe it's an intellectual well, if I just learned a little more. Maybe it's the career well, if I just climbed a little higher. Maybe it's the bigger house, better technology, more money, better car, The well of, if I just had more, maybe it's a religious well that you keep trying to seek and find and know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you're forgiven and God loves you. Whatever you keep going back to over and over again, weeks, years, months, decades, that you keep going back to, Jesus says to this woman, everyone who drinks water from those wells Will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give will never thirst again. He's offering something so much more, and it's an invitation. But beyond giving this woman satisfaction, he offers purpose. He offers her purpose. He says, You will become a spring of water, that if you accept what I'm giving you, if you believe what I'm saying, that you're going to become a spring. What's a spring do? A spring is a source of water for people. He's saying, now catch this, I want to so satisfy you, so satisfy you, and that satisfaction begins to so transform you that people are going to come to you, that he's going to give us purpose beyond ourselves And I can find my purpose in becoming a source of Jesus for others? I mean, this is what he wants to do in and through me, not just give me satisfaction. He wants to give me some greater purpose that I can become a source of Jesus for others. That when I believe in Jesus, that I become transformed by Jesus and I begin to follow Jesus and I can become Jesus to other people? I mean, that's incredible that people are gonna be drawn to me not because of my great looks, not because of my spiritual, religious, my career, my abilities, my money, my time, my gifts. People aren't gonna be drawn to me for any of those reasons, but I'm gonna find my purpose in becoming a source of Jesus for others that as he starts to transform me through his living water, I will have the opportunity to be Jesus for other people. So out of you can flow Christ's peace. Out of you can flow Christ's power. Out of you can flow Christ's joy. Out of you can flow Christ's mercy. Out of you can flow Christ's grace. Out of you, like really you, could flow Christ's truth. That he so wants to transform us, to give us personal satisfaction, but beyond personal satisfaction, he wants us to give, have purpose, that we can make a difference in this world. I mean, there's so much to learn about from this interaction. We're actually going to spend another couple of weeks looking at this, but as you just look at the big picture of what's going on here, I just want you to, to catch this one thing big picture and then one thing personal. And this big-picture idea is that Jesus blows up walls between us and them. When you look at this interaction with a Samaritan woman, a Jew doesn't speak to a Samaritan. A male doesn't speak with a female. I'm better than you. We're more spiritual than you. All this us-them kind of stuff that's going on in this passage, we do the same thing. You know you're on some team. You know there's some label that you find... um, You find acceptance through. You find privilege about. There's something, maybe it's your race or ethnicity or economics or academics. Maybe it's your wealth. Maybe it's your politics. Maybe it's whatever thing you go, I am so proud to be labeled this. And with this label, I am against them. We're better than them. This economics, this race, this politics politics stuff, any label, I am better than you. Us versus them. In the giants and eagles thing, that's kind of fun. But here's what happens. We start to actually live out and believe I'm better than you. Because in our whole lives, in every category, we want to be better than other people. And it's us and then it's all you. And here's what Jesus does in this interaction with the Samaritan woman. He goes, that ain't true in my kingdom. There's no us versus them. That Jesus doesn't come for the Jews. He comes through the Jews to all nations. God so loved the world that there is no them that doesn't get the love of Jesus. So if you have a category in your mind of, oh no, not them, he can't possibly love them, he can't possibly transform them, he can't possibly accept them, them, Jesus says, ain't no category for them in my kingdom. I love all of them. All of them. And I want to save and transform, not condemn anyone. And that's incredible that He wants to rescue every person. So that's just a bigger picture thing to think about for you. If you have a category of them, maybe you need to go to God and say, change my heart transform my heart because that's not your heart. I want your heart. And here's what he does for us personally. Yet again, we learn from John's gospel that Jesus is to be believed upon. Satisfaction and purpose is only found in believing, in believing. So you look at this conversation he has with this woman, and up to this point in verse 15, she's all kind of confused, I bet, but there's something about the conversation that allows her to say in verse 15, sir, Give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming back here again. I, I, I don't know what she knows. She's confused, probably going, what is this Kimber interaction? There's something about it that draws her in, and she says, I may not fully know what you're talking about, but what you have and what you say, I believe. I want what you're offering. You offer satisfaction and purpose. Sign me up. He doesn't force himself on anyone he invites you, come follow me, believe in me, put your trust in me. He doesn't qualify and say you have to understand everything before you do that. Just believe, take me at my word, trust me, obey me, follow me. And he promises that that's where you're going to find your satisfaction, that's where you're going to find your peace, that's where you're going to find your purpose. There's all kinds of excuses why you might say, no, I don't believe enough. I don't understand enough. But if today you would just say, I believe, even just a little bit, then take a step towards him. I trust you, God. I will take a step towards you. Watch the satisfaction and the purpose you can discover as you just take one step closer to him. This is simple but really hard. Do you believe? Pray with me. The story is so instructive, God, in Your Word that's alive, that 2,000 years later we can learn from a conversation Jesus has with a Samaritan woman, we learn that You love the world and that You don't condemn anyone but wants to save everyone you offer yourself and you ask us to follow you but you don't manipulate force or overpower you don't control you invite and when we start believing we start finding satisfaction when we start believing and continue to believe we discover purpose So give us purpose this week. Help us to see that life is so much more than just what we eat or drink or what we wear or what we have or what we do, that eternal life is found in you. And when you are in us, we are a source of light and love for the people around us. Make us into springs of you, Jesus. That others would get the grace of Jesus splashed on them when they're around us. The peace of Christ would splash from our lives to others. Only you can do this. Change us from the inside out, I pray. In Christ's name, amen.